Hailing frequencies open, and welcome to Star Trek Discoverage, the live podcast that boldly goes into excruciating detail about the Star Trek Discovery episode that has just aired on CBS All Access. I'm your host, Caliban, and this week we're talking about episode four of Star Trek Discovery, The Butcher's Knife Cares Not for the Lamb's Cry, which sounds suspiciously like a lost Harlan Ellison story, but never mind. I'm joined on the show by my regular co-host. She's also the co-host of the Generations Geek podcast, available on the Chronic Rift Network. It's Ella Pearson. Hi, Ella. Hi. How you doing? Um, good, but I'm a little, I'm a little sad after that episode. Yeah, there were some sad things on that episode for sure. Uh, Ella, your dad is Scott Pearson, who is an author and a Trek author specifically, and a lot of his friends are Trek authors. So my question is, did it feel when you were growing up that you had a lot of Star Trek aunts and uncles? <laughs> yeah, you could say it that way, actually. <laughs> Do you ever feel any pressure to uh, to read their books? Like, uh, hey, Ella, how you doing? Did you read my newest book? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm working on it. <laughs> um, I think I've been young enough up until about now that I've gotten away with it. <laughs> so the clock, the clock's running now. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> Well, speaking of one of those friends, we have another guest on our show tonight. It's William Leisner. He's a former guest on Enterprising Individuals, and he's the author of several books and stories in the Star Trek universe, the most recent of which is The Shocks of Adversity, a TOS novel. Bill, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you here. Bill, when you were on Enterprising Individuals, we talked about Yesteryear, which is a Star Trek uh, animated series episode, and a great one at that. And I think the Star Trek uh, cartoon, the animated show, is criminally underappreciated. Would you agree or disagree? I would agree. I mean, it's, you know, it's never got the appreciation. It was on NBC, I think, for two years, and it disappeared and didn't really come back onto the radar screen until home video brought it back. You know, and then that took a while for it to actually make home video. But, you know, now that it's back, I think that we'll probably see a lot more uh, attention and appreciation of it. Yeah, I'm always surprised. Well, I guess I'm not surprised, but I'm always um, disheartened when I introduce people to it and they're like, I didn't even know there was a Star Trek cartoon. So any listeners who don't know, it is available still, for now, (laughs) on Netflix. Um, Who knows if it's moving to CBS All Access, like probably all Star Trek shows are. But you can catch (laughs) the animated show on Netflix, and I heartily recommend it. It features most of the cast from the original show and many, uh, if not, well, many of the original writers and producers. And it's, it's great. It's a really nice show. Definitely worth adding to your Star Trek repertoire. Yeah, and yesteryear that episode focuses specifically on Spock, a young Spock, as older Spock has to use the Guardian of Forever to visit his past self. Uh, I don't know about you, but I didn't see any young Michael Burnham running around the Sarek household in that episode. (laughs) I I don't know how the timeline works out, but she probably (laughs) hadn't quite made it. (laughs) <laughs> to the to, to to Vulcan at that point in time, right? But. And it is kind of timey wimey, so yeah, maybe that was a different timeline right. or something. Yeah, well, maybe I've speculated earlier on the show that we might get to see a CGI sellout on Discovery, so uh, I'd be up for some uh, some uh, family pictures of Ichaya or, or something like that. That'd be cool. <laughs> Well, we just watched The Butcher's Knife Cares Not for the Lamb's Cry, the fourth episode of Discovery, and it's kind of a bookkeeping episode. Um, What I mean by that is 
there isn't anything there is um, something exciting that happens at the end of it but it's an episode that sort of helps establish our world and backs off a little from uh, Michael Burnham as the main character and we get to see a little more of the ship and we return finally to the Klingons and seeing uh, we see what's going on over there and not everything is going uh, very well for the cult of Takuvma or whatever you want to call them and of course Volk who has uh, been handed the uh, the torch literally by Takuvma to lead his forces uh, what did you guys both individually think of the episode Ella um I thought I mean I thought it was good I'm just like I I need I need a good cry (laughs) I'm really (laughs) sad and I'm always like any Star Trek episode with any sort of like alien animal um I just it really gets me I'm always just sad (laughs) sure yeah Uh, are you talking about the um the tardigrade animal the uh, ripper Ripper. (laughs) yeah and it's an interesting concept. I know that I've always tried to not as, as little as possible read any extraneous uh, information or sort of like uh, little clues and hints that you can get online. But I did read that um, the idea of the the water bear, or the tardigrade animal, which is a real microorganism um, yeah. on our world, would be very closely related to what this creature turned out to be. And <laughs> they are you got to you got to give it to them. Um as far as like setting a show in the history of Trek and definitely drawing on what's already there, they are certainly discovering something. They are charting a new course uh, with this idea of the organic propulsion drive, and it's navigated by a giant water bear. So that's fun. <laughs> Not exactly <laughs> sure what to make of that. Uh, William, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I thought this was the uh, best episode yet. Great. We had the we had the fir- the two hour movie, which was the you know, the setup. And then we had, uh, the episode last week, which was kind of a re kind of like a second pilot, a introduction to the discovery and the captain Lorca. Yeah. And this is kind of like the first episode proper, which isn't right. (laughs) The right thing to say, but I mean, it it really, it really has shown how they intend to build on to these initial episodes and taking it, you know, through the entire arc of the season. Yeah. This well this is our uh this is the Corbermite maneuver uh episode of the show where they actually they don't have to set anything up, they just get to get into the action and we get to see sort of day-to-day life on the ship. Right. They they've got they got the, all the pieces on the board right. and now we start the actual moving the, and playing the game. What do you think as somebody who has written a lot in the universe of Star Trek and has had to come up, you know, with his own sort of additions to it? What do you think of this idea of the mycelial network and the organic propulsion, the spore hub drive? Uh well when I when they introduced it last week it was really went completely over my head. <laughs> I was like Okay, warp capable spores. And right. <laughs> you feed them into Michael's little uh, phone booth, and then Michael gets swept away to a dozen different planets and back home again. It's like, okay, <laughs> well, it's it's science fiction, so you know, let's yeah. let's let's go with it for now. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you know, it's it's definitely an interesting concept. I mean, we have seen. Uh, on Next Generation, we saw Gum 2, who was the uh, organic ship, and we've seen other uh, other species, you know, other biological species that were able to achieve faster-than-light flight sure. through organic means. So it is, it is established in the Star Trek universe already. 
Yeah. So it certainly it certainly makes sense that somewhere in in uh, Starfleet Federation science. Somebody was looking at it. <laughs> I guess. I, it seems like other shows, uh, you know, that, that the idea of like a warp, uh, not a warp drive, but like a space folding drive or a blink drive does exist in other uh, sort of genres or other stories. But it seems like they had that idea, but then they wanted to really make theirs like different and sort of set apart. And I think a lot of it comes from... Uh, from uh, uh, Brian uh, Fuller's um, affection for the real life uh, Paul Stamets, the um, mycologist. Uh, and so they thought, all right, we know we want this, but we want to do it in a new way. Uh, we sure like that spore guy. All right, let's let's do that. <laughs> what if what if there are spores that somehow like reach all throughout the galaxy and we can travel on them somehow? And yeah, even I don't know, like there was a look that uh that the Stamets, the character Stamets had in the show when uh, Burnham was explaining something to him this week, he looked at his face like, mm, okay, <laughs> and that's kind of, that's still kind of my attitude towards it, but it is very imaginative. I have to give it that. Yeah. And, you know, when you get right down to it, you know, we can't break the light barrier. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, everything, is... everything in science says, well, no, you can't actually do that. So, right, but we've yeah. accepted that for 50 years. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, we also get a return of, in a way, of uh, Captain Giorgio this week uh, in seeing her her last will and testament message, uh, which was very affecting for Michael Burnham. And when I saw her name in the credits, I thought, oh, okay, so she'll be like a flashback or maybe a video or something. But then I thought, ooh, what if she's not really dead? Like, she's such a famous actress. Maybe we'll see her on the show again. And then there was a line on the Klingon ship about how the Klingons <laughs> ate her. And I was like, nope, not going to see her anymore. That, that she's nope, gone. You picked her skull clean. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy, yeah. <laughs> Although, to be fair, if I, mean, I know that things are a little different, it seems like, in the cult of Takuvma as far as uh, respecting the dead. But the Klingons probably ate the other Klingons, too. They probably ate Takuvma if they were that hungry. I think I got that hungry, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're back the, with... The, the Kadan, Kadaner party. Right, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Uh, party of 24. Yeah. Uh, so we're back on the Klingon ship this week and apparently they've been there for six whole months, uh, where nothing has been going on, where they've been trying to fix their ship and get themselves out there in the war. And the leadership of Cole, or excuse me, a uh, Cole shows up later. The leadership of Vok is sort of questioned and he, I think his, um, the other girl is, um, Laurel. I'm not sure of her name exactly. I believe that's right. Yeah. Laurel. Yeah. 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 And, uh, she's uh, his Lieutenant and they come up with this plan to take, um, a component from the discovery itself in order to fix their ship. What do you guys think of the Klingon politics that we've seen? We haven't seen much, but we've seen a little so far. I'm confused. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I have to agree with that. I mean, I mean, we're seeing 24 houses of Klingons mm-hmm. of a different type that we have not seen previously. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I do not know where it is going or how how they are going to tie it into what we know of the Klingon Council and the uh, High, and the, uh, em- or not the Emperor, but the Chancellor. Yeah. Right. That's right. where I am. <laughs> And we also get a mention of the um, – so I really don't know how it's going to uh, work out now that he's not even on his ship anymore, like he's stranded on Discovery. And we get a reference to the Klingon matriarchs. Yeah. That apparently and, he has to um, go and, and confront and, like, submit himself to. 
and sacrifice everything. Everything, yeah. Yeah, he has to sacrifice everything. Now that he doesn't have anything left, <laughs> yeah, he didn't yeah. really have. It's not he's not losing much uh, there. <laughs> he, you know, what has what has he got to lose at this point? His life. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, but then, like, yeah, I I don't know where they're going. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting to see it as a sort of. Um, as a second kind of protagonist. I mean, I like the fact that it's not like, um, I don't know, we're just cutting back to them, you know, every so often and they're like, you know, wringing their clawed hands and being like, oh, we're going to destroy the Federation. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I hope that we see this character go on this journey, much like Burnham is having to do, and, you know, develop himself and then maybe he won't, I don't know, maybe we'll find some way to, to end this war or they'll come to some kind of understanding. A separate piece. That's my yeah, theory. It- I mean, you know, from what we know of canon, there's it's going, you know, the hot war is going to cool down at some point in time. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. How that happens is where the story falls in. And yeah, and we got about ten years to make these guys' foreheads fall off too, so we got to work right. that out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like the fact that Giorgio's will is like in this big case, you know, because it contains the her telescope, but it just keeps beeping like a smoke alarm with a low battery. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's it. It's so annoying. That's exactly what it was. Change the battery. <laughs> yeah, change it. Uh, well, I want to talk about um, my favorite character. Uh, every week I have a new favorite character, um, but it's this week it's definitely uh, Captain Lorca, who we see a lot more of his leadership and command style, and he is not above uh, extreme emotional manipulation. Uh, there's the moment where... He gets he's real mad and frustrated because the uh, spore drive hasn't worked right, and he just plays the uh, transmissions from the mining colony to the entire ship oh, of people yeah. people dying and being shot and pl- uh, begging and pleading for their lives to a bunch of people who have no control over whether the drive yeah. works or not. There's nothing any of those people can do, and yet they have to sit and listen to children die. <laughs> yes, I mean the, the one child, mommy. Who are they attacking? As are we right. going to die? <laughs> that yeah. was rough. I mean that was. <laughs> I I like Lorca less and less each episode. I mean, I appreciate him like as a character, but just like as a person, I I dislike him. <laughs> uh, Bill, <laughs> Bill, what do you think of Lorca and his captainship? Uh you know the one thing that caught me or, or caught my ear in this episode, uh, Saru and Michael were having a conversation, and Saru says to Michael, Lorca isn't interested in you know, what you are or what this creature is, is what it can do for you. Right. And, yeah. you know, it's, there, it very much, you know, you were seeing that Saru does not think a whole, does not think very well of Lorca either. Right. And yeah. between, between, I mean, I don't think there's anybody on the ship who really likes Lorca. Yeah. Well, except for Landry, but now there is no one on the ship that likes Lorca. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I mean, as I saw that happen, it was like, wow. Yeah, I was shocked by that. And you know, early on earlier episodes, I tried to set up the uh, threat ganglia watch uh, to see <laughs> who the first <laughs> to see who what characters we thought were going to die in the future. I don't know if anybody would have had uh, Landry in the pool, though. No, I thought they were going somewhere with her. I thought she and Lorca. I thought we were going to see more of their relationship, but. Right. right. I mean, she, she like like you said, she, she was his one ally. Right. 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 Strongest ally, at least. Yeah, and plus yeah. he's so manipulative that I 
and that actress is somewhat high profile uh, for being on the show. Um, I have to imagine that it's possible that there's some sort of twist or something. I mean, he he's so manipulative. Maybe like after Burnham leaves, he takes a sheet off and he's like, all right, well, you're OK. We're going to fix you up. Like maybe he just pretended that she died or something like that to motivate Burnham. <laughs> Uh, that would be some soap opera level stuff right there. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, of course. But yeah, she certainly was on board right right up until uh, she did something really stupid uh, to please Lorca. Right. And that, that, was, that was really stupid. She didn't wait to see, okay, is the creature sedated? Yeah. Right, yeah. Apparently that sedation didn't work at all. I thought it was a little strange for her character. She yeah. seemed like last episode when we saw her um, on like the landing party... She seemed super, like, just, like, prepared and level-headed and just all of that stuff. And then this episode, she just... And she just, uh, you know, for the convenience of the plot, just... Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Lorca should have uh, played her death screams uh, throughout the ship uh, as well. Just another little oh, yeah. there. <laughs> I'm sure he has them on tapes to use whenever he needs to... Right. Or a, um, an audio, an audio message from her daughter, like back on earth, like, I love you, mommy. I'll see you next leave. <laughs> uh, I got some ideas for Mr. Uh, slow clap Lorca there. Um, I'd like to talk about the ship. Uh, we see a lot more of the ship this week, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, and also we learned that, so Lorca's got this, what looks like a, a chamber of horrors, <laughs> you know, with mm-hmm. all the all the things that he's warmonging in there. And I thought this would be sort of a secret thing, but no, everybody like Tilly walks in there, Saru walk. Everybody knows that he has this like dungeon in the bottom of the ship. Yep. I felt exactly the same way. We, we saw that in the very last shot of last week. It's like, Ooh, deep, dark secret that everybody, you know, and then this week, okay, here's my laboratory of horrors. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Lorca like does not care. (laughs) At all. He's very, yeah. Yeah. He's results oriented. uh, No question. Um, I was. Uh, we also get to see uh, when the spore drive activates. Um, now we know at least the um, sort of visual design reason for the shape of the saucer section of Discovery. Like both the saucer sections uh, rotate, or at least like part of them is rotating because we see them sort of spinning around before the ship does its little flippy alley oop and then goes through the spore network, which is very. I don't know. It's visually arresting. Yeah, that's one way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. I mean, I saw that it was like, that. that's really the visual effect you decided <laughs> to go with. The, the two counters, counter-spinning things, and then the thing does a corkscrew, and it's like, You were wow. looking for like, maybe like a puff of fungus, like you've stepped on a, a puff ball, <laughs> and there's just... Oh my gosh. A puff it of smoke. It reminded me of um, that little, the jellyfish ship from JJ Trek. Okay. Because that, that one has the two spinning parts, too, and it kind of it uh-huh. rotates around, but it doesn't have the like the full like uh, separate saucer sections either, really. Right, right. Um, Bill, as somebody who, again, as somebody who's written uh, Star Trek novels, um, what do you think about there's – a, there's a concession to uh, advanced design and visual effects now that we live in the 21st century and can build a, a better-looking show. But what do you think about like the technology creep? Uh, in telling stories set in TOS's past uh, on a future show? Uh, yeah, 
it's exactly like you said. I mean, we are in the 21st century now. Right. Uh, computers are a regular part of our everyday lives instead of some kind of exotic thing that's down in, you know, that the geeks are dealing with. <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we, you can't do what they did in the 60s. Uh, you know, that being said, you know, it's kind of strange to see things like, you know, spore drive and, you know, the, the holographic mirror that's like, you know, is that really necessary? Why couldn't they just have a mirror in the <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. Kirk had a little uh, round mirror <laughs> that hung on his right. walls. Yeah. As you know, I mean, you know, nothing wrong with that. And, you know, if this was next generation, if this was the 24th century, absolutely no problem with that. But it's just one of those things that just goes, this is not your grandmother's truck. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think David Mack would tell us that, you know, the Discovery is a bleeding edge uh, science vessel that's out on the fringe. So they've got all the good stuff. Yeah. And, you know, and if that's what you need to tell yourself to get over it, that's fine. <laughs> you know, I mean, and so, you know, but you know, it it's a modern show. Yeah. And you know, if you're going to entertain them, and you have to entertain the modern audience, you can't just you know cater to these smallish group of you know original Star Trek fans who are going to get all upset because you know the, the carpet is the wrong color. Right. It, right. You know, right. It wasn't it wasn't that color on the Enterprise? Why? Yeah. It, well, there's nothing you can really do about that. But it's just funny that, like, you know, as soon as Landry is hurt, you know, uh, Burnham initiates a site-to-site transport, right. which we've seen a million times on TNG. But, of course, was a huge plot point in um, oh, the one with Kang. I can't remember the title of the episode uh, where they got a beam in. Uh, Kang and his Klingons have taken over uh, engineering. So they have to do this very yeah. dangerous site-to-site transport to beam mm-hmm. uh, Kirk and company into engineering to stop them. And now it's just like, oh, computer, do it. And yeah, I mean, I'd like to see some of the conventions of having not as much tech as they had before, maybe not to the point where Enterprise, um, Archer's Enterprise is using cargo transporters uh, to transport people. And they really shouldn't. They were never planned to be used that way. But sometimes you're like, I know that we, we want to see something sci-fi and we appreciate the convenience, but it's, there's some, something to be said in just walking somebody, getting a gurney and walking them to sickbay. Right. I mean, it wouldn't, have, it wouldn't have helped anyway. She was she was really torn up pretty she, bad. She was, uh, yeah. She wasn't going to come through that. No, no, no she was not. Uh, Unless Lorca has something up his sleeve. Uh, well, and, hey, I would not rule it out. Who knows what he's got in that uh, this mad scientist lab? Um, well, let's check the crew manifest this week. Every week, I want to look back and check out some of the new characters that don't have any lines, but they've just thrown them on there to make them uh, look interesting. And today I want to focus on Flyhead Guy. Did you guys see Flyhead Guy? <laughs> uh, Ensign Goldblum is ready for duty on the bridge. Uh, they keep pushing all these uh, like robot lady and all these other guys in, and it's like, just give me one Tellarite, you know, give me one Andorian, like. Come on, guys. Uh, we haven't even seen those races in regular Trek for a while since. And you've mentioned you mentioned them almost every episode. So, yeah, give me give me like, uh, you know, Lieutenant Commander Pigface and uh, get that going. Yeah, you... I mean, I, I agree. You know, let's let's you know, it, I thought at one I, I thought at one point it was like, OK, this is still kind of they're, they're doing to the TOS idea where 
the Enterprise was almost exclusively human, and there were <laughs> yeah. the, the Vulcan ships that were almost exclusively Vulcan. But no, now you're seeing more and more aliens integrated into the crew too. So it's like, yeah, let's let's have a Tellarite, let's have a Andorian, let's you know the Vulcans are still you know they don't like to, you know there haven't been a or many Vulcans in Starfleet yet because they like to keep it to themselves. But and Spock, Spock was kind of the first, mm-hmm. yeah, officially well, or not officially. Well, I have a question about that that you might be able to answer. Um, you know, we see in the pilot that. Uh, Sarek brings Burnham to the Shensho and introduces her to Captain Giorgio. And it seems like, you know, he's dropping her off. Like, that's it. She's going to be there. And as far as I understand, like, she was not a member of Starfleet and didn't go to the Academy. So was he using his pull to just, like, get her a commission or something? That's a good question. I, <laughs> I, I think it was probably kind of a... Uh maybe a field study type of thing or a, okay. you know a, an internship oh yeah <laughs> or she's really smart maybe she tested out like she took all the advanced placement yeah. courses or and... like, you know here 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 you know try out this starfleet ship see what you think and you know maybe we can get your credits transferred from the vulcan science academy <laughs> sure yeah <laughs> i okay question answered thank you very much <laughs> appreciate that <laughs> Uh, we also got to meet the new admiral this week. Um, I didn't catch her name. I think it's Admiral Cornwall or something like that. I believe uh, that. Yeah, the female admiral that gives uh, the assignment to Lorca to go save this colony. And then I also thought <laughs> there's I, there's a lot of Easter eggs in the show. We didn't even talk about last week the three convicts uh, who I don't think are named on screen that Burnham is traveling to the Telus mining facility with were named Stone, Cold, and Psycho, which was like okay, all right. <laughs> I guess if I guess if they're not going to be set on if it's just script names that's fine, but while the um, while they're getting the uh, transmissions from the miners who are being attacked, somebody yells out, "Oh no, Zaphod is dead!" And of course, Zaphod must be a reference to Zaphod Beeblebrox <laughs> from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Where would, that was last week's episode? Oh no, that was this week. That was this week's episode, and I only caught it because I had the closed captioning on. I missed that. Yeah, I didn't hear it either. <laughs> so I appreciate uh, his towels. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> He's bleeding. Get get his towel. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, did you guys have anything else that you wanted to uh, single out as a, as a favorite moment or something that really stood out about this episode, Ella? Um, I don't know. It's hard to have a favorite. Well, first of all, it's hard to have one favorite moment moment when the show gets so much better every week. Yeah. Um. And I'm just so entranced by the whole thing. But I really liked um, the scene with Tilly and Michael, where she kind of basically tells her what to do and then leaves. And then Michael does it. Yeah. I was surprised that, um, well, not surprised, but I'm glad that they're kind of bonding. And I think it's interesting to see how, like, she was, she seems so timid, but she's, obviously a very good uh starfleet officer and is going places yeah and that uh conversation like a lot of conversations in the show uh totally bechdel compliant yeah there was there was no mention they weren't talking about men or anything like that in that scene mm-hmm. what, <laughs> bill what about you uh yeah I, I agree i really do like the uh tilly burnham mm-hmm. relationship that's uh developing my favorite scene though was uh, Michael watching Captain Giorgio's last will oh. and testament, and yeah. just the, just the fact that she was saying, 
I assume that you're a captain now and that you have your own command and that there are all these people who are under you, who are looking up to you. And I'm giving you this family heirloom that is, you know, because I consider you my daughter. Yeah. And the heartbreak that was in, I mean, I I was not a Walking Dead watcher. Uh-huh. So this is my introduction to uh, Sonique Martin-Green. Yeah. She's incredible. Yeah, it was good. It was affecting. She is, I mean, you know, this this episode and, you know, every, everything up until now, I mean, she, she, she's, she's blowing me away. Mm. I'm just wondering, just from the J.J. School of Screenwriting uh, and the idea of mystery boxes, how is, what, what's inside the telescope? Or, like, how is the telescope going to help them? <laughs> <laughs> later in the series, you know, save the day or get out of whatever problem they're in. Uh, that's just me, though. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, well, I, I almost expected to be the uh, ter- Quentin Tarantino, just the, the bright light. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> they, lingered, they lingered a little bit too long on her, yeah. It was like the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> My question is, who went back and got that thing? Because the the Shenzo is just adrift, and apparently oh. there are Klingons still living yeah. in a ship in this battlefield. So, like, very quietly, the uh, Starfleet uh, recovery team's like, shh, we gotta get this telescope, and we gotta get some old family albums and uh, photo Starfleet albums and legal. <laughs> yeah right yeah <laughs> right i mean you know, uh, you know unless there is the, the computer has instructions to just box everything up once the ship you know, is yeah. decommissioned and just throw it out into a you know a <laughs> photon torpedo or yeah site to site transport right into the escape pod sure because i mean i guess that's that was kind of the idea when that case was brought on board it was just kind of it was just kind of shipped and it was homed in on whatever Michael's current. <laughs> you know, I, you know they, they didn't explain that. They didn't explain that whole thing, but it's like, how the hell did they? Yeah, what yeah. is the Starfleet mail system like? Well, <laughs> but it's like any, you know, it's like any. Um, It's like any armed forces, you know, even, especially when the war is running, you know, the mail's got to get out there. It's important. Mm-hmm. I really liked, I mean, I liked a lot of this episode. I did think it was pretty strong, if it wasn't necessarily earth-shattering in some of its, like, revelations. Um, I really liked uh, Lieutenant Smets this week. Um, I, I don't think he and Lorca are done, because he he's like one of those guys who's like, you know, he technically he has a rank and a commission, but he's not a military man at all. Like, he's clearly right. a scientist, and and he is not totally on board and he wants to do what he wants to do and they're definitely i think going to come to loggerheads again over the issue of you know you're doing this for me not for science and no i actually kind of am doing it for me and for science so i I can't wait to see where that's going yeah i loved that he stood up to Lorca. yeah so adamantly and for so long because i would be straight up terrified of that guy if i was on his ship i mean i i i have the theory that he's not he didn't go to the academy he was kind of given a commission okay. just because of his, you know, his uh, theories and his brilliance. Sure. And he's not he's not actually Starfleet because you know, he actually said, OK, I want off the ship and I'm going to take my toys with me. It's like, mm-hmm. you, you, <laughs> why nobody, do you think you can do that? Nobody who's been in Starfleet is actually going to say that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah, he's uh, yeah, like he's uh, was brought in by uh, Starfleet Intelligence or, or something like that to, to do this work. Recruited out of the the uh, Cochrane uh, Institute and just <laughs> right. said, you know, 
we'll give you a rank and we're going to put you on a ship to do your experiments. And... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, that's, uh, I, yeah, I can't, I can't wait to see. And I think Anthony Rapp is doing a great job playing that role. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we see on the teaser for next week's episode that things get kicked up into 11th gear. It looks like Lorca is captured by the Klingons and he meets a familiar face. Well, a familiar name, a new face, uh, in the form of Harry Mudd. Who, if I'm doing my math right, I heard that he's going to be on like eight or nine episodes. So he should be on the show for the rest of the season at this point. In one way or the other, yeah. I'm so excited. (laughs) I just have to say, like, um, to see um, Rain Wilson as Harry Mudd and just to have that much Harry Mudd, I think is going to be amazing. Yeah, and he's definitely Harry Mudd, too. He's got a big beard. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I am too. I've heard a lot of fans are like, well, he doesn't look like um, uh, Roger uh, Carmel or whatever. It's like, who cares? I mean, you know, it's like Bill said before, this is a whole new show. I, I yeah. think he bears a resemblance. Yeah. I mean, you, you shave, I mean, if you were to shave his beard off and, you know, give him a little handlebar <laughs> mustache. Right, right. And uh, shave in a little, uh, you know, receding hairline a little bit. And yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Add 80 pounds and yeah. <laughs> Well, we're looking forward to watching that episode next week. I hope that our listeners will join us. I want to thank my guests for joining me on this show. If you want more Star Trek talk, you can catch Bill's episode in our feed uh, back on Enterprising Individuals, which you can find on Apple Podcasts or on our website at enterprisingindividuals.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and on Twitter at EISTpod. Bill, where can people find you online? Uh, They can find me online. I'm on Facebook as William Leisner. And I'm on Twitter as at B. Leisner. Okay. And Ella, where can people find you? Uh, GenerationsGeek.com, or you can follow the GenerationsGeek Instagram, which is just at GenerationsGeek. What are you uh, What are you fielding on the GenerationsGeek Instagram? Um, pretty much at this point, anything I want. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm doing lots of uh, like Instagram stories. Um, if I see something cool, like on Saturday, I went to the release of the Szechuan sauce, the Rick and Morty sauce oh. at McDonald's. <laughs> You're right. So I thought that qualified for an Instagram story. Um, <laughs> Did you manage uh, to get yeah. any? Uh, no, there were 20 packets sent to the McDonald's, I guess every McDonald's. And so me and my boyfriend who also went, we got numbers 37 and 38. Oh no. So we got like Rick and Morty, like exclusive, like art stickers, but we didn't get any posters or any oh. songs. Oh, okay. It's a conspiracy, Morty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I heard that that was pretty much the case all throughout the country and people aren't happy about it. Yeah, well, everybody was pretty salty where I was, um, but I honestly think that the McDonald's corporate were just like, um, here's 20 packets of sauce, just like, people are going to show up and just give it to them. And it seemed, the employees were stressed. Okay, (laughs) imagine. Just just in case there are some kids who like the cartoons that come (laughs) in. Yeah, there were lots of, like, tweens with their moms who, like, (laughs) did not know what to do. (laughs) And everybody got salty, like a teriyaki dipping sauce. Oh, definitely. (laughs) That's horrible. Well, anyway, uh, thanks for checking out our sauce this week, listeners. Thanks again (laughs) to Bill and Ella. And until the next show, this is Caliban saying for Bill and Ella, live long and prosper. Mm